Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy, your usual host for these things. And if you open up the Pink Bike homepage right now, you're probably going to see a bunch of enduro bikes, some trail bikes, maybe a few cross-country bikes. It was Whistler opening weekend, so you're definitely going to see a few downhill bikes. One thing you're not going to see much of, though, hardtails. And every time we mention riding a hardtail, we get a bunch of pinkers asking for way more of them. So here we are, we're going to do, do an entire podcast about hardtails, despite the fact that my intern, Mike Casimir, absolutely hates them. If I don't know he, what that guy's problem is. If we had an electric hardtail, maybe he'd like it. I think he would. I think that's the key. Has he tested an, a, 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 an e-bike hardtail yet? I don't think so. Okay, well, we'll have I to... Think, I think that would make him even madder than normal. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Kaz isn't here, so we're going to beat up on him the entire podcast. Yeah. Well, he's going to join us. He's going to join us for our hardtail discussion, which will be great to have him on board for that. Uh, But first, we've got Tom Bradshaw here. Tom, if you don't know Tom, Tom's from New Zealand. He's a relatively new hire, and he just did this silly 30-day, I'm going to ride a hardtail because I don't like myself much challenge that we posted a video of. Tom Bradshaw from New Zealand, I want you to give me three words that describe that month of riding a hardtail in the Sea to Sky Corridor. <laughs> Thanks, Levy. Dangerously good time is what it would oh. be. And you're not wrong. Possibly hiding a few demons with, yeah. uh, with, that, with that attempt. <laughs> All right. All right. But you survived. <laughs> Smiling through the pain. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Survived and still here, Levy, and can confirm. The hardtail got a lap at the bike park opening day yesterday. Nice. I thought you might say really sore back or... Oh, we've got some discussion later down the track. We will take it downstairs. Levy will get there. Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. As usual, James is going to jump into the news. But first, make sure to give us a 10 out of 10 UFO rating on whatever channel you're listening to us on. James, tell us what happened in the last week of mountain biking. Thanks, Levy. Uh, first up is a bike we've already talked about a fair bit this year, uh, but now we finally have some details on it. That is the Santa Cruz Blur. Santa Cruz, maybe not the first name you think of when it comes to XC, but the Blur has been a big part of this lineup for a number of years now. This new one is about 300 grams lighter, mainly thanks to that single pivot system with flex days we've talked about before. That get rid of some moving parts and therefore makes it a lighter bike, and it also makes room for some extra water bottles. Two models are available of the Blur. There's an XC version for sort of Olympic style, one hour, 20 minute, one hour, 30 minute cross country racing and a TR version for longer events like marathons or multi-day events. That just has a bit more travel, makes it a bit more comfortable. Santa Cruz say definitely not a downhill bike. They've got the tall boy for that. It's just an XC race bike with a bit of extra squish. Oh, um, yes. Legendary downhill bike, the tall boy. <laughs> did I say, I mean down country (laughs) and what did you guys think of this one (laughs) i think it looks great and i think they they definitely had to do it i like i like the last blur i had that one for a long time it was great fun um but the vpp setup is never going to make for a light frame that dual link you've got a lot of bearings you've got a lot of hardware so ditching that lets them lose a bunch of weight uh make some more room for some water bottles and yeah it looks great too simple straightforward i don't think there's anything too exciting I think it looks awesome. Um, I think it's a great contender in that space. I'm a little surprised that they 
went away from what the blur was because Levy, like you said, you really liked it, yeah. the blur, the the last blur, and it really was it was a pretty unique, you might say, down country ish cross country bike. Yeah, I think this is really interesting. So the fact that Santa Cruz has decided not to use VPP for this. Usually, a lot of times what we see is a bike brand going wholeheartedly with like one suspension design, um, sort of. It, we see some car manufacturers using, you know, one type of engine for like all of their things. Like we're an electric car company, period, or uh, you know that kind of thing. But clearly, I think Santa Cruz has looked at this and been like, "Hey, we need to take a different route." The days of dogmatic suspension, like FSR is the best for everything, or VPP is the only thing that you can use, whatever. All those things. I think that yeah, the days of suspension dogma are kind of behind us. Yeah. Yeah, Nobody we just saw that you. with Nobody the believes jumper. you anymore. <laughs> right? Exactly. Like, yeah. Yep. I think we're seeing, uh, I think pretty much every new XC race bike that's come out this year has been single pivot reflex days. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's the right tool for the job, um, yeah, why would you, you stick to something that's that's potentially not quite as, as yeah. good for the job? Right? You- and that, that flex day system has been around for ages. Like, I don't think Cannondale was the first to do it no. with the scalpel. Definitely no. not. Remember they the Ivis bow tie? The the Kendale was cool because they've put the flex day where it flexes in a different place than most. Yes, that is. So that's pretty unique. That's a pretty. I think they were the first to do that, and I bet a couple of other manufacturers are kicking themselves for not thinking of that first. Yeah, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And that bike, that scalpel, actually does ride differently. And I'm not sure if it's specific. I'm mm-hmm. sure it isn't actually specifically down to just where that flex pivot is, but it is like a definitely like a different feeling bike. So mm-hmm. yeah. Anyways, I am surprised that the Blur, I thought maybe they would bring this bike out as, and call it the Superlight, bring the Superlight name back, and keep the Blur as a downcountry bike. It's kind of what I thought they were going to do, but wrong. Brian was wrong. So from something with pretty racy geometry to a bike at the total other end of the spectrum when it comes to geometry, and that is Transitions Aluminium Patrol. Although it shares a name with the Carbon Patrol, there are a lot of differences between these two frames. The aluminium version is a steeper seat angle, different chainstay length, a lower bottom bracket. But the number that will grab most people's attention is the head angle, which comes in at 63.5 in a high setting and down to 63 in the low setting. Um, pretty um, pretty wild numbers for a 160mm bike, hey? So yeah. conservative. <laughs> I think that aluminum patrol is, they're going to have a hard time keeping that thing around, I would imagine. It mm-hmm. makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? Uh, moving on, Fox has introduced a new dropper post, and it claims that this is the lightest on the market at 327 grams. So although this looks like a regular transfer, it's actually a totally new post with a lot of differences from the regular version. For a start, this is mechanical, not hydraulic. It's also two positions, so instead of getting the infinite adjustment you'd get on most posts, this is either fully up or fully down. Uh, and Fox has done that because they believe that XC riders tend not to set a post in that in-between position. They either go high as can be or fully dropped. Um, Levy, you ride, I guess, quite a lot of cross-country stuff. What is are you that- saying? Something you find to be true? like <laughs> Yeah. Um, I have a 175 millimeter dropper post on my cross-country bike. It's great. <laughs> it's just great. Yeah, I lower it all the way. You know, the only time that I will drop my dropper post like an inch is for a really technical climb that I think I'm going to loop over backwards on, which is exactly what happened to me on the weekend. Um, but I don't know. I think like, wouldn't I kind of want like the lighter 
transfer SL post without the index position in long travel for all my bikes. I don't know. Am I am without I without the for index that? position? I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I'm. Is it really a two position, not a three position? Indexed. Yeah, two position. That's wild. I I feel like the third position of that you've got your pedaling at full extension, and then you're like two centimeters down for Loser. or for tech climbing and then you've got all the way drop like i think those three position ones make sense i don't know i could give two a try oh i'd beg to differ from the dirty xc race days when you're so cooked in that race you can't even barely think about hitting the button you just need one or two positions so i'm a huge fan of that and there's would have been a huge fan of a dropper post too i've had some dangerously <laughs> big crashes on a hard tail due to <laughs> a seat post right up your butt hey tom do you, it sounds like you've had the skills to ride an XC post, uh, ride an XC bike without a dropper post. Do they, I, I think are they perfect. still there? That's my question. <laughs> yeah, the, the use, the past tense of the word head is, was good there, Levy. Okay, all right. <laughs> if I jump right. on the bike and I can't ride without the dropper down anymore, I guess it's yeah. like when you get maybe from flats to clips, it's like that same kind yeah. of muscle memory, I think. James, how much travel does that transfer SL have? Uh, well, there's three options. There's it starts at 50 mil, and then there's an 80 mil, 50. and 100 mil is the uh, the max. Yeah, and 320 something grams. Yeah, about that. For the, yeah. for the so smallest like, one, or for all of them? I I think that's going to be like 200 grams lighter than like a standard C post ish, right around there. Standard dropper. Yeah. It's a tiny bit lighter than that. Uh, the DT Swiss one that's like 350 ish grams if I remember yeah. right three oh 370 yeah. um so yeah it's a little bit lighter than that assuming it's apples to apples everybody gets sneaky with their dropper post weights where it's like with or without cable or with or without all kinds yeah. of stuff or that or they only tell you the weight of the 25 mil drop one anyways yeah. um I do know if they're claiming it's lightest production I don't think that's right I think there are two there are two upside down style dropper posts that are in real production in Europe that are stupid light. They're like 180 grams with carbon tubes and stupid. But these we could they could say like lightest Sounds fragile. Ones. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Matthias Flugenger has his own custom one. Yeah, I think that's, that's one the of the inverted ones one. Yeah, I forget what yeah. it's called. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if so, Tom. You're doing a cross country race tomorrow. It's just a hour and a half cross-country race okay newsflash surprise <laughs> ah. classic cross-country race it's not super gnarly terrain are you going to want 150 to 170 mil dropper posts that weighs 200 grams more or 80 to 100 mil dropper it weighs 330 grams do you <laughs> my, care my personal preference i wouldn't care right now <laughs> but i yeah. think i think from that top white weenie XC racist perspective where you're measuring the grams and the grapes that you're eating this afternoon. Yeah. That it does matter to them. Yeah. Like, yeah, it definitely does. Me. Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to take as much as I can get. <laughs> I'm, I would just take my C post out because I'm out of the saddle charging the whole time anyway. Okay, James, go on to the next piece of news now. <laughs> um, this week we saw what looks to be, a, well, it definitely is a new bike from Paul. Uh, this is a 190 millimeter travel bike. It's due out later this year. 
Um, it's always going to attract attention. It's bright, burnished, shining gold. Looks like a marine quake from the mid noughties. Um, but there's a bit more going on here than aesthetics. For a start, like I mentioned, 190 millimeters of travel. That probably makes it one of the longest travel non sort of downhill bikes in the world. That's, that's the same amount of travel as the pivot downhill bike. <laughs> it's like we're really, we're really splitting hairs here on categories. two years from now this thing's going to be a trail bike yeah <laughs> um also interesting 80 degree seat tube angle and um it uses that 1.8 inch head tube standard now this is a standard we first saw it at eurobike 2019 and we were told you know this is probably only going to be for emtbs for aesthetic reasons so kind of the the wide battery doesn't look weird with a, a slimmer head tube um, but Leo says um, there's some performance factors too. He says you can get front end stiffness of a dual crown without the turning limitations. So is this a sign that 1.8 is a new standard to look out for? I I just want to say that I like Leo's willingness to just jump into the shark tank. Yep. <laughs> he doesn't care. No. The, those, those, I love their bikes. The, I haven't ridden these new ones. Uh, but the stamina, I've said a ton of times, I like them so much. And I also like the fact that he's kind of out there. He's doing some weird stuff, man. These things are ugly as hell, Leo. What are you doing? <laughs> these ones, these bikes look like it, especially the rear triangle. The front triangle looks all right. The rear triangle looks like the perfect rear triangle to match those boon, wild boon cranks that we mm. posted a few weeks back. Those crazy CNC from the, they look like the late nineties in a crank. Mm-hmm. So it's like sci-fi from the nineties. Do we know, are these machined and glued together, James, like the other ones? Yeah, yeah, same as the other ones. And the links on this are all use the same technique. So it's, it's pretty much the whole bike is, is like that. Yeah, okay. And a different suspension layout. They did use a dual link system before, but this is a revised version. Uh, I noticed that he didn't have chainstays on there. You can't break chainstays if you don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Johnny the Weasel who made that joke. But yeah. that joke's been made a few times before, I think, too, so... I picked out two more commenters here. We got some savage pinkers in the comment section. Uh, Sam Deatley says, hey, 90s, what's up? Not bad. Not bad. (laughs) Not bad. Uh, Watchtower also commented, you can all stop picking on Niner and Nolly now. (laughs) Wow. That's pretty good. Uh, Just for the record, I I love that Leo's doing crazy shit. I love that he is not afraid to piss people off and try things. I'm not on board with 1.8 that, that, you know, we talked to some suspension manufacturers who were pretty frank about saying, we don't see a performance benefit here. We're just doing it for the aesthetics because e-bike makers asked us to. Um, So I'm, yeah, I'm not about it, especially, yeah, a 1.5 head tube is plenty stiff. Just make forks that don't creak, please, everybody. Yeah. If... If this bike, I don't care what it looks like. If this thing manages to uh, move things ahead for me the way that getting on that stamina did, the stamina was a big eye-opener for me, for sure. And if I get on this thing and it kind of does the same thing, I I don't give a shit what it looks like. What about you guys? The progression of Levy in in two years. This is his full-on cross-country bike, 190 mils. (laughs) Yeah. Leo, make it efficient. <laughs> <laughs> Leo, don't make it efficient. I don't know. You, okay. Okay, serious question, Tom. You've seen this thing. Pretend it's not yellow. Pretend it's silver. Would would you, if great riding bike, would you rule it out just because of the way it looks? Or would you like, nah, 
this thing's great. Like, what if it is amazing? Well, no, especially if you're the one on it writing it. You don't have to right. look at it. Right. <laughs> so, of course, I'd run it. <laughs> is is this bike the new Red Alp? Uh, I don't think those Red Alps rode that well, man. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> More like the, good, yeah. in the Polygon Square One, right? Like, Yeah. That had some pretty yeah. admirable qualities, but I think a lot of people were put off by the sort of, whatever you call it, design. The, um, Snuffleupagus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, either way, Leo, I'm super interested in that thing. We should, uh, I imagine we'll get one here at some point. Um, Kaz made some predictions. Um, guys, did you did know there's going to be... See, there's <laughs> I don't gonna think be, he did. There's going to be these bikes, right, coming out in the future, and the front wheel is going to be 29, and the back wheel is going to be 27.5. Okay, so Kaz did this prediction article, and... They are the lamest predictions. Kaz made one prediction that we're going to see more high pivot bikes, everybody. He also made the prediction that we're going to see more e-bikes. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) He also predicted we'll see a couple more mullet bikes out there in the coming year. Anyways, Kaz, way to really put your neck on the line with those predictions. He's not here, so I can... He's probably right on on his... Yeah, at least his predictions are probably correct, unlike some of mine. Of course they're right. They're fucking boring. <laughs> it's not a prediction if you know it's coming. I isn't right? Is that No, I think that is what a prediction is. Oh, that is. is. <laughs> yeah. No, you're predicting. You're pretty sure. Anyways, Kaz, come on. <laughs> Take some chances. Um Next, I want to talk about Seb's deep dive on bar height. And he says, this is a factor of bike setup that's more important even than the wheel size you run. Um, so he argues that a lot of riders get this wrong simply because it's not something that's really talked about. They're not really thinking about it. They might just run kind of the stock bar stem combo, whatever um, comes with the bike. Levy, you ride a lot of different bikes. You're on switching between bikes constantly. How noticeable are those differences in bar height when you're Cheers. going bike to bike? Yeah, it's huge. So, for example, the the value bike field test that we just did on the Sunshine Coast, every morning, whatever bike I was riding, I would put it up next to the other bikes and make sure the handlebar was, you know, within a couple millimeters. And I've definitely jumped on test bikes and been like, eh, something feels a little weird, you know, and you, something feels different and you come back and you put it next to the bike that you just spent more time on and the handlebar is five mils higher or five mils lower and you change it. I could feel the difference for sure. One thing that I don't think we got too far into in handlebar height is with bikes getting so slack now, and this came up because we're designing Grim Donut V2 and we're trying to dial in reach numbers and a conservative 525 millimeters for size medium. Case We didn't want to go too far. (laughs) I know, I know, right? Conservative. But when you have a super slack head tube angle, if you put headset spacers on your bike it shortens your reach really dramatically versus if you run a taller bar. So we have a fairly short front end or a low front end on, on the new cream donut. Um, and that's, and that's, uh, we're going to have to plan to have options for bar for different bars to, to change your front end height with handlebars rather than stem spacers. Yeah. Seb touched on fork setup mm-hmm. as well and how that relates to handlebar height. And that's, that is also a huge, huge one too. Like, in the past, I've, I can think back to riding a certain suspension fork and just knowing that because of this fork, I probably want to put another five mil spacer or something underneath mm. my handlebar. Yeah. 
Tom, what about you? Is I mean, you live here in the Sea to Sky corridor. It's steep as fuck everywhere. How how are you with handlebar height? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm super particular too. Um, on that hardtail that I've been riding, I ended up just dropping it lower and lower, even though it's steep as here. I think it makes a lot of difference for me. I'm always thinking about how I can get my weight over the front wheel. And if that handlebar is too high or that, or if I'm, my hands are too high, then it doesn't work. Yeah. So on the front of my Mondraker right now, I have these <laughs> calling head to spacers sick. Seems kind of dorky, but do you guys know Tomo? <laughs> I, I forget Tomo's last name. Um, he's in the bicycle industry. He makes all sorts of interesting bicycle, little tiny bicycle products. And he makes these stepped headset spacers. So they're two pieces and they're stepped and you rotate them. And it goes from, I don't know, like, like a 10 mil spacer to a 20 mil spacer. And you just loosen your stem, lift it up, rotate the spacers and you can adjust your handlebar height. Obviously it's not something you're going to be doing all the time, but they sure look neat. I like them. It's kind of dorky. I think I saw, first saw those Tomo headset spacers at Interbike 2009 or yeah. 2010, something like that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I remember thinking they were the coolest shit ever. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems a bit silly from like a setup standpoint, like just put the spacers on that you need. Yeah. But for an editor that has to move things around sometimes and try different things, I don't know. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I started with them slammed on my Mondraker. It has a mm-hmm. 120 mil sit on the front. I live in Squamish. And Every couple of rides, I would rotate them up. Rota- Guess where they are now, Brian? <laughs> uh, probably the highest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, moving on, um, we should talk about Formation. This is a women's free ride event uh, in the Utah desert. This is the second year it's run. Um, there's eight free riders out there. They're at an old um, rampage site. Um, I think they've done a week of digging, and then this weekend just gone, we've had um, sort of the, the jam-style um, competition. Um, we're waiting on sort of official footage from Red Bull, but from what we've seen from social media, the progression has been absolutely huge. Um, some serious, serious, um, lines being hit. Um, and yeah, it, it looks like a really great event. I think, I think we'll have to do a separate podcast about formation. It's just, it's so badass, and it really feels like, it feels like the event has broken through. It's like a real legitimate thing now. We had Alicia down there documenting it and she's just been super impressed with Everybody that's making it happen, all the things that these ladies are hitting, it's, yeah, it's fucking cool. Yeah, keep an eye out because I'm, I've no doubt there'll be a, a highlights video dropping in the next few days and it should be wild, so it'll be cool. Um, unfortunately, some bad news. Um, we got confirmation today that Crankworks has been cancelled for 2021. Um, always one of the highlights of the calendar, but unfortunately with kind of ongoing COVID restrictions, um, they couldn't make that happen this year. In 2022... If and when Crankworks happens after two years off, it is going to be massive. Yeah. <laughs> just to be just to be clear, it's Crankworks Whistler that's cancelled. The, the Austria event is still happening. Yeah, and Rotorua is in November as well. Yeah, yeah. They should do it. They could do a Crankworks Florida. They could probably run, run down there, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> just take over Swampfest. Have you seen you yeah. know Swampfest? Oh my god, I do. Sick. Too rowdy. Nope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Too that's scary. What, that's what mountain biking needs. Like the fest yeah. series needs to implement alligator pits and more pallets, into more bird cars, please. Yeah. Some better news out of Whistler is that the bike park is open. Um, I think it's felt probably felt like a long time for people who have been waiting for that. Um, but opening day was yesterday. Tom, your first Whistmas. How was it? It was my first Whistmas. It was exciting. I I always 
I love a good pedal. So I'm always, you know, a bit hesitant about the bike park every now and then, but I was hooked. Yeah, it was great. People were frothing for, I think it was seven and a half months for, for them. So it was awesome. Beautiful day. Berms were smooth enough for the hardtail to go run around on. It was great. <laughs> Tom, I love the fact that you preface that comment by saying, I love a good pedal. Like you, you clearly are not someone that spends a ton of time in the bike park, are you? No, I, uh, don't get me wrong. I love it. Right. Yeah. Race there a bunch, but there's, I'm, I think it's more, I'm just impatient. So standing in a yeah. line, even if it's 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to, <laughs> I want to ride my bike, cover ground. Yeah. Here's Tom pedaling up, up Whistler to take the chairlift down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a sweet gravel climb. <laughs> don't be ridiculous, bro. No, <laughs> no uh, I love the, love the downs. That's for sure. But yeah. What was the what was the craziest bike you saw in the lift line? The Geometron with the double crown and just you could tell it was a guy called Sean and he'd spent the last year building it up and the parts I think the last parts came to him on Friday and he was able to put it together for Monday and the best part was is that he's got interchangeable wheels so he somehow pedals that thing as well around Worcester and then puts it, puts his downhill set on with a, with the seven speed drive chain on there. It's so good. And then there was also a transition uh, PBJ dirt jumper oh. ripping around. Oh yes, <laughs> and Man, shout out to that guy, Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> All right, let's get on to our questions now. Our first question. This is from KCY forty one thirty. Man, we. This guy, we're going to skip this guy's questions for a few podcasts. We we answer this guy's questions like every other podcast. They're, they're He's got some good though. questions, though. That's true. That's true. You I got never everybody look... else, you need to step up. Yeah, I don't look at the names usually. I just look at the, the questions. I'm like, I'll grab that one. But, okay, so he wants to know who's mountain biking's equivalent of the FBI's list of the 10 most wanted fugitives, i.e. who are the biggest villains of mountain biking? Is this because we did the 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 Mount Rushmore of... It is, yeah. yeah. He says that he would nominate whoever decided that Boost should be invented instead of just using 12 by 157 and whoever decided on using 15 millimeter axles instead of 20 millimeter through axles. All right, Brian, who's on your biggest villain list? Oh my God, I wish I had more time to think about... Let's, yeah. let's say that we're going to come... We'll come back to this with a more thought out answer, but I don't think he's... I don't think he's crazy for for pointing out some of the boost stuff. Um, I do we know who was boost officially? I mean, isn't it wasn't that Trek? Yeah, I mean, so would it be Travis, who we've talked to before on this podcast, Travis yeah. Brown at Trek? I mean, if if Travis, if you are Mister Boost, you, I'm going to give you a pass. I am. Um, I actually hit my heels on a lot of 157 back ends, so I'm. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm going to give you a pass, but I can see why some people would be pissed off. Like it, it's definitely change is a, is a struggle and oh man, it's so, f yeah, it's incredibly frustrating not being able to move bikes from one bike to another. And yeah, my wife's bike is a, is a pivot super boost thing. And I would love for her to try it in mullet setup and can't do it right now. So yeah, frustrating. I would nominate whoever designs a full suspension bike that can't fit a large size bottle in any size, it's even the small size. I don't care. You are a bad person. 
You're a bad, you're a legitimately terrible person. Why do you want people to be dehydrated? I, I, I need I'm to gonna, think more about my answer. Yeah, answers. I know. There's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of people who should be on this list, probably including us. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, definitely. I, I'll say, I'll also say that the BB spindle situation right now is super fucked up. It's a, yeah, it's an absolute nightmare to move. Yeah. Just to try and get the right thing, the right spacers and the right chain line and the right everything. It's awful right now. Both spindle diameter and bottom bracket shell width and bottom. Yeah. All the things. Crank bolts that require a zillion foot pounds of torque. I also don't like that. <laughs> Why? We should almost do an I'm entire I'm just so happy podcast. to finally pull out. I'm just <laughs> happy this. to pull out the big torque wrench sometimes. It's like, yeah, Fair enough. Finally. Yeah. But when you got to take it off. You have a Anyways, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'd like to throw one in, but event focused. Whoever took away four cross racing from the World Cups? Oh, you know I love four cross racing, but I will say that when we post up four cross racing things like videos or live coverage, it's consistently the least watched stuff on Pink Bike. So I don't know if it's chicken and egg. We just haven't done enough, so people aren't engaged, or people don't engage, so we don't. I don't know, but um. It, I, yeah, it's a it's really disappointing, but it is what it is. Ooh, what about whoever constantly decides to put best trick competitions before the finals of a slope style? Mm. Come on, guys, that's not how it works. Best trick is for the people who didn't win the actual comp to go out and try their one craziest thing, not people playing it safe for an extra five grand. Philippe Mirhaga. <laughs> Why? Who's that? <laughs> He got caught doping a long oh, time ago. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it just popped into my head. We should, we're going to do, we, we should do a whole podcast about this, about villains on the mountain bike world. Whoever decided to put the press release about shocks going from Imperial to metric standard out on April Fool's Day. Um, mm. because at Dirt, we didn't even Genius. <laughs> because we were like, nah, this is, we're not putting this up. This is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> It happened. Oh, and <laughs> whoever decided that, I'm proud of you. Yeah. James may not like it, but I'm proud of you. <laughs> yeah, I'll back him up. All right. Let us know in the comments below who you think should be nominated as a villain in the mountain bike world. Our next question is from Scott Stebner. He says he loves the podcast. He loves the thought of the obscure stoned hippie from the last one. Uh, question. Y'all talk about how some of those early times that on old bikes are still hard to, be hard to beat today. So in the last podcast, we were talking about somebody went to repack on a new bike and tried to beat the time down it. And they found out that it was quite a bit harder than they expected. His question is, so if you were to race each other tomorrow on a bike built before 2000, what would you choose and why? And how could we make this video happen? And my bike would definitely be a Klein Mantra. For speed or for just being amazing? Uh, I think it looks neat. I like the way that it looks. <laughs> I'll take the M1. I don't think I oh, need to explain yeah, it too much. <laughs> no. All right. Since we're already talking about sketchy ass bikes, let's get into our chat about hardtails. The pros, the cons, where and why they make the most sense. Why making sense shouldn't matter sometimes, bike choice, and how to properly set up your hardtails. Now, I should say, before we get into this, I'm mostly joking when I've talked shit about hardtails in the past. Kazmir and I, we'd love to joke about how much we hate hardtails, but like a lot of you listening, I've owned and ridden all sorts of them over the years, including semi-disposable DMR frames, 0.243s, club roosts various mm -hmm. other bikes yeah those those were rough 
various other hardtails that saw way too much abuse over the years. We've got Kaz in the discussion now with hardtails. Kaz, you've probably ridden a bunch of hardtails over the years. Did you have a favorite hardtail? If you could uh, go back. Yeah, I mean, I think my favorite's still going to be that spooky June bug that I've yeah. talked about before. Because that was like my first real good mountain bike that I paid for my paper money and it's pistachio green with that red z2 so yeah that bike was sweet did did you spend like years on hardtails when you started riding or was it like you got a hardtail you rode it a few times or a year and you're like okay time to move on no yeah it was years so like if i started riding i probably spent six years riding hardtails before going to full suspension because i was full cross-country dork and then it really wasn't until like 2002 or three that i got a full suspension bike so yeah about six or seven years of hardtail like just exclusive hardtail riding. So you've done it enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom, Tom Bradshaw, you just did a whole month on a hardtail, but we're not going to get to that yet. Let's go back. I bet you've done a ton of racing on hardtails over the years back in New Zealand. Uh, yeah, very much like Kaz. I come from a dirty XE background. And yeah, I think that was all, all we had. And uh, I think it was... Uh, trek something i can't even remember the trek model it was that i first got on my first ever bike and then mm-hmm. in my attempt to cover up my age because i was only seven years old in the year 2000 <laughs> i referenced the scott endorphin <laughs> before to that question tom i am your father <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> and yeah no I, i've probably spent years years on the hardtail as a as a young one yeah yeah did you do the did you do the free ride jump hardtail stuff too, or did you go straight from the XC race to the full suspension bikes? There was a giant STP in the mix. Oh yeah, and there was also a very clapped out um, Iron Horse Sunday in the mix too. Uh, I I don't think that's a hardtail, Tom. I know you're trying to construct my personality around a hardtail leafy, but yes, I, I do enjoy a full suspension too. All right. And what what hardtail did you do this uh, 30 day nonstop hardtail thing on? What what bike did you ride? It's the the Common Cell Meta HTM, which is right. aluminium or aluminum, as we call it over here. Yeah, you call 60. it aluminum now. <laughs> I'm converted. Yeah, yeah. sixty-five degree heat angle. It, it's a. It does things. Yep. Compared to the, I think the last hard tire I rode had a seventy-one degree. Heat Little different. Angle. Yeah. Little different. All right, Brian. I know that if we go back far enough, <laughs> I fucking love bringing this up. <laughs> I know that if we go back far enough into the YouTube archives, we can get video of you riding a hardtail doing some sick dirt jumps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first one I had. I had an on one gimp oh. for a while. It was it was uh, raw. You could see all the welds and stuff. I thought that was could, so cool. Could somebody name a bike the gimp in 2021? No, I don't think it's so. Probably not the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair, um, at some point I had a Belfa Minuteman, and I missed that bike. Oh. That bike was really nice. Chris Donahue. That makes me instantly think of Chris Donahue. That's why I bought one. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I got out of mountain biking for a bit. And then at some point in like 2006 or seven, I bought a DMR sidekick, just a cheap frame. It, it also immediately bent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, 
It's like suspension with with really slow rebound. It yeah. doesn't come back. Get <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one good rebound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that's all. All the main ones. Aside from Tom Bradshaw, who rides a hardtail every day, Brian and Kaz, would you spend voluntarily? Would you spend any time on hardtails? I'm not talking about test bikes, Kaz. Would you just would you be riding hardtails these days? If you my dirt jumper, I ride. It's a hardtail. It's got 26 inch wheels and everything. I'm talking about mountain biking though, on the trails. Not not typically, no. Yeah, okay. I I usually ride full suspension. They're pretty good these days. I love Kaz's (laughs) honesty. He's like, nah, fuck no. Why would I do that? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can, but I don't. It doesn't. I don't mind it. It's just I. I'm lucky to have the choice. I don't need to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about why somebody might want to ride a hardtail. Because, I mean, if we break it down, Tom, I mean, they're harder to ride quicker. They're, they take way more out of you. Why, why, why would you ride a hardtail? And the podcast can just end there. Yeah. yeah. And we're done. <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> ride them because of bike shortages. If it's the only bike you can buy at the store, you go in the bike shop and all they have are hardtails left. You might end up on a you just hard tail. buy a 579 giant iguana, hit the trails. Ready to go. Ready to I maintain it. that giant iguana is the best bike name. It's Period. not bad. I prefer giant the giant iguana? Sedona. No, I just think but of a giant work. iguana. No. Yeah. It's like an enormous iguana. That's so cool. That is true. <laughs> I'd argue okay. there's, something, there's, something, there's something simple about a hardtail. You know, you just jump on it, crank the rebound compression up to about 1,000 on the back and... Good to go. <laughs> you Would can make you, it even simpler though with a rigid fork. Then it's real simple. Yeah, it's a it's a good argument there, Kaz. But you know, you do want to get down the trail in one piece. There's a lot of this fork that I've been riding has seen some things. I think the the biggest reason that most people ride a hardtail or at least start riding hardtails is that they're a nice, inexpensive entry to the sport. The you know all the complication an expense of rear suspension. It does add up. So I think a hardtail is a bike that a lot of people start on. Um, I think that's one of the reasons it's so important in the industry. I also think that's one of the reasons it's so near and dear to so many people's hearts, why everybody gets super upset when we make tongue-in-cheek dismissive comments about hardtails. It's like, it's like, but that's my childhood! <laughs> that's why I'm limping so badly! <laughs> I... I talk a lot about how much I love riding short travel bikes because even though they are slower, a Kaz is already rolling his eyes, even though they are slower, that like the edge of traction, like all that stuff is closer. So you don't have to ride as quickly to be as out of control, which is the fun part of riding, the out of control part. (laughs) Do you guys like when, when it snows, you get the first snow and you take your car out and you do little donuts in the parking lot or you go and ri- drive on a forest service road that you normally drive very safely because you're very responsible as a human i know you guys i know you guys really well but all of a sudden you can just be slideways at 20 kilometers an hour exactly that's that's a hard tail that's exactly it and yeah that's where i'm going with that the same i think the same sort of mentality applies to the hardtail. Kaz, we rode a couple of them in Sedona, and then I've ridden a few more for the, the, the latest value bike test. And that's, especially that growler, that's the exact impression that I got out of these things. It was like, okay, I have to work harder. I'm definitely going a little slower in some places. 
and I'm closer to the edge. Maybe I'm more scared, but I was also sometimes having more fun. Cool. You win. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Are you trying to argue? I don't have an argument against that. Like, hardtails are fun. And I think, I mean, I really do agree that as for a beginner, they're the best as far as getting into the sport if you don't want to drop five grand or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. my little brother's getting into the sport. He's not little. He's like me times two. He's very big and strong. But he's been getting into mountain biking the last couple of years. And I got him one of those Canyon Stoics. Like the, oh, yeah the one above the one that you guys had in that field test. Yeah. It's, it's beat the shit already. Cause he's ridden it so hard. Like, yeah, but it's amazing, but it's gotten him into it. I don't have to worry as much about like things breaking, which is nice. Like, well, that's, you don't, you don't have to service his suspension. That's what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. No, like the amount of work I've had to do on, he already ripped the derailleur hanger off and did all the things you would do if you're a beginner and very strong and not have all the technique. But, um, I'm glad that that's been his first bike rather than like a full suspension one, just for my sake. I'm not sure that a hardtail is any more reliable than a full suspension bike has. That might have been the case in 2007. The pivots, there's way more, way fewer oh, moving yeah, parts. For sure. Yeah. I, I don't argue that. This, I this is spoken like somebody who is a test editor that doesn't have to keep a bike for the next 10 years. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? How is only, there less? Hey, dudes, when I ride a full suspension bike for two weeks, and then put it away and never touch it again, I have no problems with it. It's perfectly reliable. (laughs) Or just as good as the hardtails. (laughs) No, no. But I do have full suspension bikes that I've had for multiple years that I ride the shit out of. Modern full suspension bikes, it's not like, for the most part, they're eating their bearings or breaking chainstays all the time. Definitely, that still happens. Chainstays break, bearings wear out, and... Things require more maintenance, but I, I don't think that argument holds any water. Do you stick to the service intervals on your suspension components? No. When brake pads wear out, I send the bike back and I get a yeah, different but... test bike. <laughs> <laughs> You've just had that Mondraker for a while. You've been riding that Mondraker a lot. Yeah, I've had it for over a year. Yeah. And have you done any suspension service or uh, pivot bearings or anything? I destroyed a lower shock bushing in the back. And then I've worn out the SID fork bushings, but that was a production issue. Um, But the bearings themselves are fine. It's only got 100 mils. It doesn't need to move that much. And then when the bearings wear out and get stiff, it's like you have like a pedal assist. And you have a hard tail. (laughs) (laughs) And you have have your own anyway. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. No. I mean, I think the maintenance argument does hold water because there's no way to argue against the fact that a a full suspension bike needs more maintenance than a hard tail. Yes. That's the end of the story. Yes, it is. You're right. I guarantee you that's, I, I can't argue that, but there, you're not getting those like massive in the field failures on your full suspension bike like we used to. They, yeah. they no, no, yeah. They are it's all, yes. yeah. It's more like preventative maintenance or like general every once a year maintenance that you have to okay. do on your full suspension that you wouldn't have to do on your hardtail. Okay. What about this, Kaz? Full suspension bikes definitely require more maintenance. What about the components on a hardtail? Rear wheel, rear tire? I'd say it's about the same. I mean, you're going to ride. If you're going faster on the full suspension, theoretically, you're going to be doing, you know, hitting things with more speed. So I think the the forces that go on that rear wheel. I think you also spec different components, which I think we can talk about later. Um. If you hit things as hard as you, if you hit things as hard on a hardtail as you did on a full suspension bike, it's going to go into your body. And so you're maybe less likely to do that to the rear wheel. Like you might think right. the rear wheel would be la- not last as long, but if you're riding that way, it's going to hurt your body before other have, things. Have, have we factored the, uh, the medical costs of ownership yeah. into the co- other costs of ownership? <laughs> yeah. Arthritis medicine. <laughs> yeah. 
I'd back you up on the body, on the body there, Kaz. Like, I've hit some decent drops on this most recent hardtail, like big to flat things, and it's the body that takes the hit than the bike so far. Like, I'm going, oh, I don't want to do any more. (laughs) Tom, would you say that if you're going to ride a hardtail consistently here in the Sea to Sky, you will end up riding your bike less than if you were riding a full suspension bike on the same trails? No, because... At the end of the day, uh, I think a bike's a bike. So, so long as you can get out on something, you'd still yeah. have to ride as much. Yeah, but if you're beat up more, that's the question. You definitely would get beat up more. Yeah, like what I'm finding, it's it's actually my arms. Like my hands and my arms are what's getting beaten up on the downhill. But maybe you just tough that out and you yeah. just become a superhuman and it would be the same as a gentle couch or you just do the same as what people f- obviously got right in the early 2000s and put a dual crown on it <laughs> <laughs> dudes there's some neat things you could do like those rev you guys remember those rev grips the the suspension grips i ran those on a carbon kona hanzo and the difference was definitely notable definitely yeah i definitely don't run lock-ons on the hardtail i run lock-ons Although, on everything i know you do yeah me too i don't like my grips to come off yeah, me neither. We'd but scared. I, yeah. Let's let's talk about hardtail setup because it's definitely a, a different approach there. So there's also the image of riding a hardtail, isn't there? There's that sort of core. Like I look back at pictures of me on that two four three, and I'm just wearing like the biggest like skateboard knee pad, some like punk rock t-shirt and a half shell helmet. Kaz is looking for the photos right now. I don't think they're online, Kaz. You're not going to find them. But to me, I think back and I could admit that I definitely sort of embrace that hardcore hardtail image. You know what we used to do? This is how much of an asshole I used to be on a hardtail. We would be at the top of a trail getting ready to drop in and there'd be other people there on downhill bikes and full suspension bikes. And I'd always want those people to drop in first so I could try to catch them on my hardtail. That's a dick maneuver. <laughs> yeah. Well, my hardtail pictures have me in full spandex, like on the top of porcupine rim with like half finger gloves and my seats oh, all the I way up. It. Yes. I got a camelback. It's it's really good. E-bike or no? They didn't have the e-bikes. Oh, okay. The old just checking. I don't like know the anymore. Pictures, <laughs> the pictures are black and white. It's real old. <laughs> I would include these pictures in the article, Kaz. So you're going to have to. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I got one somewhere. I'll upload it. You're going to have to send them to me. But I think we all know those sort of hardcore hardtail guys. Every every town has those, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the skid, like the skate shell helmet is very important for that. It is. You can't have a visor if you're a hardcore hardtail guy. No. God, no. Yeah. <laughs> Dickies. I think Dickies. Are, what, what is the hardcore hardtail uniform? I think it has to have Dickies. A uh, half lid. Yeah. Uh, like, a, like a skate half lid, for sure. Mm-hmm. Play of flannels. Even though you're on a hardtail, you should definitely be clipped in. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna say a lot yeah some denim denim pants or shorts yeah mm-hmm. yep <laughs> maybe a vest some shitty tattoos yeah a beer you need like a a rainier or like a pbr whatever the cheap beer of choice in your area is like that has to be somewhere really close to you yeah to be fair though this guy would crush us on the downhills though on his hardtail cast mm, maybe he thinks so yeah. it depends there is that kind of undercover operator who who turns up and just just rips and then i think it's either end of the spectrum like yeah i've seen there's definitely undercover operator like i used to ride with a guy that 
we'd ride the shore and he just for budget reasons was on a i think it was an old kona like a stuff for a was that the hardtail one of the just kind of like the chunky kona hardtails and i saw him ride some things on trails that shouldn't you can't hardly you can hardly ride them on a full suspension bike and he would do them on his hardtail and every time pull it off and it was nice. he was undercover operator like we drop in and some of us would be like no nah, i can't ride this and he'd just be like there's that waterfall move on the shore that some of you guys might know that ends with like a it's like a three-stage waterfall thing with like kind of nasty little drop at the end i've seen that cast <laughs> yeah he did that on his hardtail like in the rain of course you know yeah. like that kind of stuff like oh okay well nice good for him <laughs> Tom, how did your month go on that on that hardtail? Let's get into your your month of hardtail riding. I want to hear about it here. <laughs> it's been more like ninety days, if I'm honestly. <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> Why were you on a hardtail that much? Uh, supply chain issues. Yeah, yeah. So I'm waiting waiting for a, a full suspension, but um, yeah, I've, <laughs> that's I've, the re- the number one reason to, <laughs> somebody wants to ride a hardtail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, honestly. It's what you have. Run what you brung. And that is like just, yeah, something different. I totally agree, Brian. It's like run run what I brung. And like, you don't even have to think. Like, I think I get a lot of people looking at me like, what? why would you bring that today or whatever? But you just, I don't really think about it. Maybe I've been on it so long, like for the last three months. I don't even really think about it. It's... it's- He's been on it so long. He's now caught a, a vest and, and the and the dickies yeah. pants. That advisor, yeah, advisor yeah, yeah, you guys can't. Yeah, th- I'm great. This is a, this is a podcast. You can't see what I'm wearing right now. He's got a beard all of a sudden. <laughs> got a can of Have you had any cheat days? Have you have you had cheat days? Where you like sneak out with a different full suspension bike and ride you can't no do that, Kaz. You you do more harm than good because then the next day when you get back you on your it. hardtail. You're like, oh, shit, this hurts. <laughs> I used to have a hardtail and a downhill bike as my only two bikes. I actually like that combo. I am, I've got the, the hardtail and, a, and an enduro bike right now, which I think I've mentioned before. It's kind of on either side of the spectrum of what I should have. But I quite like going back and forth because when I get on the big bike, I'm like, oh, this is luxury. I'm going so fast. I can hit things so hard. And then, so I feel I'm, I'm more confident than normal. And then when I switch back to the hardtail, I have the speed from the big bike. And I'm like, oh, I can go fine on this hardtail. And yeah, so I don't know. They kind of complement each other. Now, that's bracketing. That's a real good point, Brian. Like, what I've missed is I, I know as soon as I go back to, like, an enduro race bike or, or whatever it is, that I won't be used to the speed. And that's what you lose with the hardtail is that mm-hmm. ability to really open it up and like be comfortable at speed. Um, but then on the plus side, I think you gain the slow technical move. So yeah, there's always. Do you think that riding your hardtail, are you going to be faster when you get back on a full suspension bike? Not immediately. No, it's going to, I'm going to have to learn to go like that fast race speed again. I reckon I'll be better on the slow, steep, techie stuff and the reason for that is i think on the hardtail i've found you get such immediate feedback when you stuff something up so if your wheel placement's wrong if you pump at the wrong time if you Mm -hmm. break at the wrong time you just know straight away (laughs) yeah Yeah. precision precision is everything on a hardtail you know last last podcast we talked about the sort of those like titans of mountain biking and the on on who would be on our mountain bike mount rushmore and one thing that the vast majority of the people we mentioned had in common was that they all started BMX racing. And I think just taking that a step further, like I think that there's always a good, 
uh, a good case for cross-training or gaining skills in one sort of more specialized area and then bringing that to a more general thing like trail riding or enduro. Um, and that's why you see a lot of successful enduro athletes being either cross-country specialists or downhill specialists or having, you know, brought some of those skills over. Yeah, definitely. I think you see that on the other end of the spectrum too, where guys come from motocross or from skiing. Mm-hmm. Like my mate Charlie Murray is a great example. He comes from a free ride skiing background. When he first started biking, he could just fly, wouldn't know what to do with himself down the steep technical stuff. Yeah, that cross training is super important. How is your bike set up on your hardtail change, Tom? Is there anything that you have changed on that hardtail to specifically suit the Sea to Sky trails that are steeper, rougher? And obviously, a lot of the people that you're riding with, I mean, they're on full-on enduro bikes. So that's something else to keep in mind. You're riding a hardtail and you're riding with people (laughs) in the Sea to Sky corridor on enduro bikes. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely a mental check that has to go in place every now and then just to say, hang on. <laughs> but no, I, the bike setup, I've got a 150mm uh, Lyric on the front. Um, and I think if I was just going to keep it in the Cedar Sky, I probably would have liked to have gone 160 mm-hmm. just for more. I've bottomed out that fork so many times <laughs> and up the air pressure already, <clears throat> put the compression up uh, a lot kind of higher than I usually would on a trail bike just to see what happened but I think just to try hold me up a little bit and then um really really good brakes (laughs) yep four pot minimum like you're on the brakes a lot and uh, just to take it away from the gear quickly it's like that's the biggest mistake I keep making is on the trail bike you can brake whenever because the rear wheel tracks on the ground so much better and on the hardtail if you Miss your braking spot, you're gone. <laughs> How has reliability been on that bike, Tom? I've done absolutely nothing to it until yesterday because I put a rock through two spokes. But oh, uh, ninety days I've done, I've done, I've done nothing. I'm, a, I need, I'm about need to change the brake pads probably next week, Levy, and just get yeah. a new bike. <laughs> 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 but no, that's the thing. Like I just love just. Yeah. Pick it up. Let's go. Easy. Yep. So yours, you'd call that like a full-on trail hardtail. It's not quite hardcore, but you you were you want to dabble in enduro hardcore hardtail land. <laughs> it's definitely it's it's a hardtail that is supposed to go downhill. Unlike mm. I think a hardtail from ten plus years ago, which is it's dangerous for you to take it down. Like. Some of these trail stuff, and that's yeah. where you need a bunch of you need to drink a bunch of PBRs, have some denim on, and a BMX lid <laughs> for safety. The, den- <laughs> the denim yeah, is safety, for safety denim. guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brian, why don't we see more hardtails on pink bike? Uh, because you guys whine so much every time I ding ding ding. <laughs> yeah. Correct. <laughs> every time I assign them, it's just pulling teeth. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I think the real, one of the reasons is that it's very difficult to talk about hardtails in a tangible way. There's some people who do a really good job of it, but it's so, there's, it's very hard to tease out some of the differences when, like, if you have six 
full-on cross-country, like, specialized epic hardtail-style hardtails in front of you, and you ride them back-to-back, you can definitely tease out some differences. But in the if you did them one after the other on long-term tests, I, it's very hard to tell or to, like, really tease out those differences in a tangible way. So I think a lot of editors struggle to talk about them. Is that fair? Yep. Yeah, well, it helps too if the hardtail is way different than the norm. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, was it for? It was a while ago now when I reviewed that Trek stash that had the mm-hmm. twenty nine plus tires. That thing was so fun. It had like super stubby chainstays, three inch wide, twenty nine inch tires. Like, it was a ridiculous, goofy bike, but it was super fun. And it was different enough that you could explain like, how it's different from a regular hardtail. But then you are starting to get there's a lot of similarities in like your trail hardtails. Even your hardcore hardtails are kind of getting pretty similar you see you hop on you're like oh this feels sort of like i think a big steel slack hardtail would ride so it is harder to suss out the little nuances there for people listening there are basically sort of three main categories of hardtail these days of like the full-on xc race rigs that are 100 mils or less up front um usually have terrifying head tube angles then you go over into sort of the trail bikes which are like that moots womble i rode for a while the rocky mountain growler um, yeah, you guys had a couple of them, a couple sort of the more trail ones at the, at the Springfield test. And those are, you know, 130 to 150 mil travel and mm-hmm. slacker. Yeah, they do. They, they get by with everything. And then you've got your sort of enduro hardcore hardtails, which Tom is obviously now, uh, our official hardcore hardtailist. Um, I think and, it's cheating uh, being on an enduro hardtail and I, I don't think I can call myself a hardcore hardtailer. <laughs> <laughs> but those, you know, you've got. There's ton, tons of them that seem to be really popular on pink bike. Those like the Kodak Beefy, the Pipe Dream Moxie, Pole, Tyball, Stanton, something or other. Like there's tons of them and people really want them. Despite the cringy name, why do you think people love them? Because it's a little better than an entry level hardtail and they're still not in the full suspension world. So it's like, you know, and the idea, it, it makes sense. You know, you look like, oh, it's going to be super slack and. People, the same reason people like downhill bikes or bikes that are meant for going in harder terrain, that type of thing. You know, it is your if it's going to be your one and only bike, the hardcore hardtail for a lot of people does make maybe a little more sense than the XC one because they can get into nastier stuff. I think people like to be different too. Yeah. Not not everybody, of course, but I think if you got a group of ten guys on full suspension trail bikes in a town, one of those guys is probably some weirdo who prefer to be on a hardtail. Maybe it's got to be part of his personality. Yeah. yeah. And, it, yeah. and it shows you're not a cross country racer if people are trying to differentiate themselves by having a hardtail that's like, you know. Yeah. It's Kaz, of... I've got a question for you. What modern hardtail would you have as your only bike right now? I mean, I haven't ridden a lot of them. Like the last one I rode was that Kona, uh, yeah. the newer Hanzo, and I wouldn't Those... have that as my only one. Um, that it was just too, too slack and too heavy yeah. for what I would want from a hardtail. So mine would be more something like in that trail category or maybe just some light it probably you know what it would be if i was gonna have a hard tail now i would just go full-on xc dork and get like a scott scale or whatever like super light make like a 23 pound cross-country thing and call it good but put a dropper post and a short stem on it yeah exactly yeah Yeah, short stem wide bars maybe tires that aren't like not downhill tires obviously but maybe not the full pinner xc tires like a middle middle of the road tire and i'd be pretty happy on that i think that's where i'm at too just hardtails for me, don't make a lot of sense as my only bike. Bunch of old guys here on this podcast, everybody. I know, I know. But I mean, but that's, I think if, I would say that to anybody, if you're, if you're going to be a one bike person and, and you can afford it, I don't think I would recommend a hardtail to anybody. 
as their only bike. But if you've if you're bracketing, I do like the idea of a full-on cross-country hardtail. I don't like the angles on a lot of them, so I'm I'm messing around with some things. What? To, what? You're oh, you don't like them as in they're not slack enough. Kaz is saying they're too slack. Who is this nope. over here? Well, uh, no, no, no. I I I'm with Kaz on wanting a full-on cross-country or semi, you know, cross-country trail, down-country-ish hardtail. But man, the 68-degree head tube angles on a bike that just gets steeper as you go, as you hit things, is just not the move. Um, I want, I want slack for sure. I want to not be scared. But it yeah. barely moves. You only have like 100 mils of travel there. So you well, can... the, I mean, that was the weird thing with that Moots was it was a fairly light bike. It's ex- super expensive. Um, it had a 66 or 67 degree head tube angle, but it had 140 or 150 mil fork. So when you hit things, you ended up with like a 72 degree head tube angle. Can you, I know where this is going. Can you just tell people about your bike, your Slim Donut? <laughs> no, we'll save that for another. We'll, but I've, yeah, I've slacked out a, a full XC bike, a fully XC hardtail, and it's going to be fun. It's It's been a lot of fun. There is that hardtail factor that the bikes get quite a bit steeper you know, things, they don't have that same, it's very different dynamic feel to a full suspension bike. And that's why a lot of people will over fork their hardtail by a long ways. And then you don't have that, you don't have rear suspension on the back. So then it ends up driving the front end. And that's why at the beginning of the podcast, we heard Tom talking about his fork setup. He let all of the air out and just filled it with bottomless tokens. <laughs> <laughs> Squamish hardtail fork setup, <laughs> but it does require a different sort of approach, a different sort of setup because there are different dynamic things happening there, Brian. And you touched on that with bikes getting steeper in a different way. <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't. I'm not a fan of the of the big travel. I'm I'm all for progressive hardtails and super slack angles and stuff. But I think after you have 120 mils of front travel, maybe you should be looking at a different type of bike with rear suspension. Just, unless uh, you know, unless whatever, but. Um, yeah, yeah if you've got another bike and you're doing a hardtail, regardless of what you're going to use it for, like, be careful of having too much travel. Yeah, I'd agree. I think it uh, it comes down to that speed equation too. Like we need, if if you're not going like downhill world cup speed or even fast enduro speed, you don't don't need 170 mil speed. (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) you haven't been here that long, Tom. You're already talking shit about the boss. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Brian's got to keep those seawall KOMs. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What sort of changes do you make guys when you, when you go from a full suspension bike to a hardtail, let's start with you, Tom. Because you just did that ninety day, ninety day project. How's your body these days? Are you doing anything different with your body? Are you having to do stretching? Uh, are you doing multiple ice baths every day? You're going down to the massage parlor. I was about to say, you ask yeah, mentally, what do you have to do? Just <laughs> rev yourself up. No, the body. I think I've definitely you have to move around a lot more. Like when you're actually on the bike, like. Um. And like I said before, just notice my arms are getting way more, way more smoked than they would on a trail bike because you're soaking up so much more. Mm-hmm. I can't say the stretching has increased. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone from zero to zero. <laughs> what about your lines, Tom? Are you just generally speaking? Are you 
slowing down and taking the same hard lines or are you taking completely different lines or maybe you're going faster and taking different lines what how does that all play out now that's a re- really good question levy because that's what i found like doing the a review like after 30 days like the first few days on the hard tail was terrifying like and you're just getting down the trail any which way but then once I got used to it i could still take the same hard lines just mm-hmm. slower i think what I, what you can't do is is just kind of is pull for things on a slightly faster trail because you don't have the insurance policy of coming up an inch or two short like that's definitely something i've noticed line wise on the trail and that's probably the biggest frustration is like there's a bit of stretch of trail and you can't just quite go for it like that's yeah it's probably been the thing i'm missing the most sounds like you need another 90 days on that thing maybe yeah yeah sure (laughs) or some more denim (laughs) How's, how's the rear wheel holding up it was surprisingly good until yesterday. Oh, but perfect timing. It was perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> One day but in the Whistler bike park then. Yeah. Uh, sorry. The day before yesterday, the fr- okay. fresh wheel took on the Whistler bike park. Um, no, but that was a that was a snap and two spokes right in the middle of the spokes. So I think it was a, some dangerously I mean, hard bottom out on a on a rock rock slab <laughs> that probably doesn't have much to do with it being a hardtail but the rim itself doesn't have like a ton of dents and stuff in it everything no the rim up. itself is good um maybe but, it's just because you're a smooth operator <laughs> slower slower smoother operator yeah. to be. um do you but, run bigger tires yeah i was just about to say the tires i started with the swallow we do 2.35 and then mm-hmm. uh they were they were too skinny like what when you say too skinny, what what's happening? Tell me, tell tell us what's happening. You're not able to plow on the front because with the the setup I've got, you can st- the front you can still plow into things. So I wanted to be able to lean like to lean it over with more confidence, and then when you're on the back, I wanted more volume just to give me a bit more room for squish. Yeah. squish. I will say that noted. Uh, wide trail and plus tire hater Mike Levy actually sees a pretty good pretty good use case for those 2.6 inch tires on hardtails. Yeah, that's my suspension. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. But the one place they really do make sense. What'd you end up with, Tom? Two, well, <laughs> a, a whole 2.4, but it, it measures <laughs> it measures a lot more than 0.05 wider inches. It sounds like nothing, but it's yeah. noticeable. So yeah, Levy, I'll grab some grab some fat tires to try. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, there's there's that's possibly the only time and a place for them. Right. I'm always impressed when I see people riding hardtails well in a place like the Sea to Sky Quarter, Squamish and Whistler. It's it's just so rough and it can be quite fast and steep, but there are plenty plenty of places in the world where Hardtails make all the sense, um, even more so than some short travel bikes. Do you guys see yourself being hardtail owners if you if you lived in that place, or is it full suspension bikes only? Yeah, if I lived somewhere smooth and swoopy, I'd probably have a hardtail. Like it just makes sense. There's not really if it's. I mean, smooth trails really you're not getting much advantage from the full suspension. There's no not a real point if you don't. Yeah, I mean there are trails. I know trails where you could definitely go faster on a short travel bike or maybe even a hardtail if you know how to pump. Not that I know how to pump well. <laughs> but 
there are places where you can go even faster on them. Yeah. I think you can just lose of... some of the versatility if you do happen to be like, you know, you're riding all your smooth trails, but then you want to go to some chunky place, you might. So it's trade-offs, but I could definitely see. I'd be more likely to own a hardtail if I live somewhere with smoother, uh, flowier trails. Do you, have, do you guys have any hot tips for riding hardtails? Yeah, Talk. move somewhere with smooth and flowing <laughs> trails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have to admit, I've been really enjoying a rebuilt blue flow trail here in Squamish quite substantially. <laughs> <laughs> the Cedar Scott doesn't always need to be stupid steep, nah. <laughs> right? <laughs> but I'd like to check the, check the thoughts around for the winter, winter bike. Like, oh, you know, here we go, Brian, let's wind this up because... I, I love I'm a I'm a relatively lazy bike owner I like to just be able to pull the bike out and ride it quick clean and then we're good to go Tom in the winter it's wet and slippery and you have way less traction which is exactly when you should be on a full suspension bike <laughs> maybe that's just how lazy I am <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is a thing we see a lot of a lot of people build up the hardtail it's my winter bike it's my winter Not project here they don't. oh yeah they do they all talk about it all it's like Their yeah you downs <laughs> every every like september october you start seeing people post their builds on instagram of what their winter bike is going to be and it's always a hardtail and then you never see those yeah those they ride them like three times yeah i mean there's that less maintenance that we talked about but it's kind of not that big a deal but i, I think it yeah. makes i mean you, if you're going to make a true winter bike you might as well go single speed to really reduce your yeah i'm a big fan of that case next podcast single speed rigid hardtails i've had one before <laughs> casimir the hipster yeah casimir we're gonna we're gonna have you review one of those stooge cycles i don't even know what that is is it cool no that's that one you were so stoked on in the rigid enduro bike oh that one yeah yeah no i don't think i need to review that i can i can write <laughs> the review but i don't think i need to ride it <laughs> All right, so that is it for Hardtails. Let's move on to Comment Gold and wrap up the podcast for today. Our first one is from Send It Bro. This is on our Axis GX review. He says, can we have a new review series of what's in stock, please? <laughs> Not a There's terrible a good idea. Reply to that. There's a good reply to that, too. Like, reviews to include, what's hot in three-speed front derailers? Just how reliable are those Amazon Prime forks as an alternative to other out-of-stock brands? How to justify buying the weird soft compound semi-slick tires because that's all that's left. <laughs> uh, how to grow and like a really bad bike just because it's currently in stock. The Titus El Guapo edition. <laughs> how to live with riding a bike that's sized extra, extra small and extra, 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 extra large. AliExpress. The risks and benefits with a group bulk purchasing. <laughs> USMBC Co. UK. That was quite funny. I like that. That's gold. All right, our next ones, these are from the throwback article on bike geometry. This is this is again from KCY4130. I got to pay more attention when I'm copying these, these questions and comment golds in here. He says, in the last 10 years, my own geo has changed a fair bit too. In particular, the addition of a beer belly and love handles. And then Little Skull 99 says, you mean a larger front setter and a wider rear end? He, and then Asdog, Asdog replies with, I call it boost basic. <laughs> but I'm bump. All right, everybody. That is it for episode number 65. Make sure to give us a good rating on whatever podcast program you're listening to us on and leave a comment below. Tell us who you think are your mountain bike villains and give us some hot tips for riding hardtails. <laughs>